0: All right, well, I don't know if this is true uh, about your life, but I'll give you a little peek into the Richmond household, is that okay? We like to have people over to our house, Uh, we like to throw parties, um, but oftentimes um, there's a little bit of a last minute nature to our parties. Anybody relate? All of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, the party's today. And what the party today looks like in a house full of seven to 12, depending on how many people live in our house, when the 40 years lived in our house, our across the street neighbors, they lived for a few months in our house, and our, our neighbors across the street said, it's like a clown car over there, there's people coming and going all the time. So we live in a clown car, um, we, we like our clown car, um. But our clown car is not always neat and nice and put together. And so sometimes when parties come upon us, or we're like, oh, no, emergency mode. And emergency mode is shoving everything that shouldn't be out in a place that it shouldn't belong for the temporary time being. And depending on how bad the house is, is how many rooms we can't invite people into. You know, it's like uh, you, you cannot go any farther than the foyer. Let's party here. It's everything else is stuff. That's the Richmond household. That's that's one way of looking at a party. We have a choice. We can stuff everything in the closets, in the basement, or in the spare bedrooms and deal with it later, or we can actually look ahead and plan a great party. Amen? And uh, the Richmonds would like to plan better parties, and we do uh, do those sometimes. But let me talk to you this morning, because this fall, we are going to be talking about Throwing a party. And primarily, we're going to be talking about how God has thrown a party. God is the party thrower. And and for some of us, you're like, wait a minute, that totally blows my paradigms already because everything about God is not a party. All right, he's dealing with my sin, I'm confessing sin, I'm around people that are not quite who I want to spend party time with. The whole thing is not a party. But we want to change our paradigm this fall. We want to change our perspective on what partying looks like it starts with our partying God. And for those of you who, like, came out of a party lifestyle that you don't want to remember, I'm not talking about that kind of party. Necessarily. But there are some aspects to how we throw parties in the world that are very much like God. As a matter of fact, as one of my former pastors would say, we've got sometimes we've got a little bit too much pickle juice in us. We get all... Tight and and unresponsive, not just in this environment, I'm not talking about Sunday mornings primarily, although that's a part of it. I'm talking about our life. How filled with joy, how filled with hope, how filled with excitement are we about the party God? And I'm just going to say that he's got party in him. There's scriptures all over the Bible from Genesis to To the creation, I think there's a little partying going on when he started creating things. And the people that were around, the angels that were around, go, wow! You are creative! That is awesome! And when he made Adam and Eve, I think there was like a big party. You know what I'm saying? God has got joy and excitement and creativity
1: all in
0: him. Anything that you've ever experienced, remember every good thing that we have. Everything that is good originated in God. So we want to redeem. There's a lot of things I'd like to redeem from the world that the world has stolen. But one of them is what a party looks like. And that party starts with God. And it lands on us. And it should transform the way that we live life. So if you like, how many of you know that it's harder to to frown than it is to smile? It's a fact. For those of you who like your lips to go down like this, a lot more than like this, this is going to be a real challenge for you. Because God wants to to extract a little pickle juice, and he wants to put a little wine into your spirit. He wants to bring gladness and joy and hope to our lives. I'm not trying to be, and listen, we're not going to spend a lot of time me being a uh, a cheerleader. I think there's part of that. I'm not talking about glossing over pain. I'm not talking about glossing over hard experiences. Because any given day when we walk into this room, as we started out the service, for those of you who are here with us, praying for a church who just lost two people in a car crash, there are tragedies and events that happen in our life that don't look like a party. So we're not going to spend eight weeks ignoring that. But we're also not going to ignore that God has hope in the midst of all those situations. And that he can turn mourning into gladness. And that's, that's where we've got to live, right? We cannot live with hope in sadness. We can live in it for a moment. But joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. And we want to party with God. So if you're like, oh, if you want to go ahead, this is the time for all of your, all of your friends who think church is a bore. just say, just say this. My pastor is a party pastor. My, my pastor is partying this fall. If you just want to use that as an excuse to like maybe like intrigue people, like, really, what's going on at that church? Then um, you can say whatever you want to. Those little cards that you got in your, your bulletin, those are for you not to put on your refrigerator to remind yourself that you're a part of a party. Those cards are for you to give to somebody who needs a party. Amen? Well, I've got too many frowns on that. Amen? Okay. Right, I saw a couple of cards in in a a Bible, and I won't say whose Bible it was, and I thought, they're not going to do any good in the Bible. The Bible already knows all about that party. Okay. Angie, you're going to have fun this morning. So we get it cleaned up, and we say, God, this this is what a party looks like. We can either do what I say, or we can think ahead of who the guest list is going to be. Who's the party for? When we throw parties, is the part, sometimes the Richmonds throw parties just for themselves. And sorry that you're not invited, but it really is fun. But normally, when we throw parties, we're throwing a party for somebody outside of our home. And so we're not throwing a party for how we'd want the party to be. We're throwing the party thinking about who our guests are. So a good party is thinking about the guests. It's thinking about what is needed for the guests to have a good time. It's an anticipation of excitement because we know what the party is going to be about. It's going to be fine. Therefore, when they are walking up the steps, we're not going, is everything okay? Uh, Shut up. We're going to have fun. Hi, welcome. (laughs) Again, I'm not sure that happens in any of your homes, but it could happen. (laughs) But we are excited that people are walking into our house. Today is a pre-launch, a pre-party, dress rehearsal. For the next few weeks, you ready to have a party? Okay, it's <laughs> a tough crowd. <laughs> wow, New Year's Eve! Woo! <laughs> I'm gonna have a lot of work to do the next eight weeks. Okay, All right. So, so let's start with that first thought that I just shared. We are having a party, and we are thinking about. Who are we inviting? Or let's take a step back. God is having a party, and he's thinking about who he wants to invite to the party. So let's look at a passage of scripture. We're going to look at Mark 6 this morning. Um, and so start looking there, and we'll throw it up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. There's something about our Bibles, and when we look at our Bible, we remember where texts are, and there's something that happens with the physical Bible that gets the Word of God in us more than just you coming and looking at a screen. It also makes you aware of the fact that you have a Bible that you could actually read not on Sunday mornings, but on other times. As you're looking there... I want to think about the theme of our party that's not just about this fall, but the big party. The theme is, is that we have a great God who loves us more than we can ever imagine. The host of the party is the best party giver ever. He knows who you are, he knows what you like, and he's offering what you want. And this church is awesome. And eternity is what you were made for, and you don't want to miss out in heaven Right, This is why we talk about our vision statement, revived in God, refreshed in community, released in purpose. It's, it's, it's the same thing that I'm just saying. We're excited about God and what God has done in our life. That's revived in God. We're refreshed in community. We think the church is pretty awesome. That what he has assembled here, even though we have some warts and weaknesses and we're, we're getting through life and trying to overcome, the heart of who we are with Jesus in us is pretty awesome because he's in us. Amen? So we have a, a lot to offer as a church. And God has created some ways to be released to reach the lost with the gospel. To be used in our unique giftings to strengthen the church and to reach out. And he has purpose for each one of us. That's why we put this on our, on, our, on our bulletin every week. It's why it's on our website. We want to remind ourselves, God, we want to be revived in God. Refreshed in community. Released in purpose. Every week. It's part of the party plan. That's the theme. It's the theme for what we're all about. So we want to get our homes... And our hearts ready for the party. So here we go. Let's look at one party of many parties in Scripture. This is the party. I'm going to read it verse by verse and not go through the whole chapter at one time. So we'll start with the first verse. This is the party. You've never probably said it this way. This is the party of the feeding of the 5,000. Do you think that was a party? (laughs) Do you think that was a party? First of all, I think, and I'm not going to get into this later, but I'll just say this. I think the little boy that gave the food, he never stopped running around the lake after that happened. He was like the most important person in the world. He went home and he said, Mom, you're not going to believe this. I fed 5,000 today. And she didn't believe him. This is a party. Jesus likes to do it this way, doesn't he? He likes to break through our paradigms and do things we wouldn't expect so that he receives glory. Okay, here we go. Mark six 34. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. The first thing I want you to look at is the very first few words. Jesus what? Saw the crowds. He saw them. And I think implicit within this story is not just that he saw them, like visually, like in a second he saw me. Wow, that's a big crowd. He saw them. He saw 5,000. It was a lot more than 5,000, probably. He not only saw the crowd, it says he had compassion, but he also saw them. As individuals in a crowd. And so when we talk about the crowd this morning, I want you to hear this. Crowds mean nothing. Numbers mean nothing if people that are in the crowd don't mean something. Now, if we start loving every individual in the crowd and we see the numbers not as intimidating or overwhelming as this story is going to explain to us, but we see individual people that matter. And God wants to do something in every one of their lives. Not just some of them, but all of their lives. Now we are going someplace. He saw the crowds. The crowds, the people, were the focus of his party. Think about important people today, just for a second. Do they see crowds? You might see money, if they're an entertainer. Or a businessman. Or some growth expert. We see crowds for how we want to see them, but is that how Jesus saw this crowd? Important people today, when they see crowds, what do they do? They don't do what Jesus did. They try to get away from the crowds. Anybody ever been to a Red Sox game and seen the fenced-in Jaguars and Mercedes and Porsches that are blocked off and all the little kids are looking out the fences, trying to get a look at pa- Big Poppy or you know Pablo? Or they're, they're looking, and they come through get in their nice car, and zip away. That's not Jesus. And let's be honest. It might be that if we were important people, we might see the crowds a little bit differently as well. Most people try to get away from crowds, try to hide from crowds, go the other way, but Jesus saw the crowd. And just for a little bit of your reading, I'm not going to talk about this today, but if you'll read before this passage of Scripture, you'll see what I alluded to a couple of weeks ago, which is, These guys had already been ministering to a lot of people, and they were actually on their way to get some rest. And then they saw the crowd. So let's just even put weary, tired, maybe exhausted disciples in Jesus seeing crowds. But we won't go there today. He sees the crowds because he has something to give them. And they, we, are what God is all about. He stops. He intently sees them. Just like he has seen you in me. Because we're part of the crowd, aren't we? At one point, were we a part of the crowd? Some of you in the room might be a part of the crowd. You might be coming in here and wondering what this crowd is all about. And when I was in a crowd, when I was not being seen the way that I needed to be seen, when nobody else knew what was driving me or what was bringing fear or confusion or hopelessness or lostness to me, there was somebody primarily who saw me and his name was Jesus and he stopped to reach me in a crowd did he reach you so that when we look at crowds do we look at them could we look at them the same way and that's my first question to us this morning is do we see the crowds do we see the individuals in the crowds do you walk into target and actually see all the people around you versus the sales racks that you're looking for. When you go to a concert or you go to a Red Sox game, do you see the crowds? Do you ask yourself, where are these people headed for eternity? When you walk past somebody on the sidewalk in Harvard Square or down Main Street in Waltham, do you see the crowds? Do you see the people? Do you look? Or are you trying not to see the people? Because if you see the people, or if they see you, and if you see each other, oh no, commitment time. I have to at least say hello. I might have to stop and talk, or something even more dramatic might happen. God might have a moment of ministry to that person. Have we become inoculated to people? Or do we look at our city and ache for it? See, looking at a crowd brings a couple of things. And Jesus is the perfect person to look at a crowd because he has perfect perspective. But when we look at crowds and we start to zero in on the people in crowds, there's all kinds of things that can happen. There's cost. There's energy. There's... Transfer of life. There's a disruption of schedule. There's hope. There's disappointment. There's rejection. All of those things are possibilities. All those things happened to Jesus. Yet when Jesus knew all of those possibilities and he saw a crowd and he saw people with names and lives in that crowd, what did he do? He stopped. He saw. Are we strategizing our lives to reach and live for the crowds? Are we praying about the crowds? Are we intentionally patterning our lives and and setting up our lives so that we're available to people in the crowds? Are we letting them see God in us? People can't see God in you unless you're living God out in front of people. And they know that it's Jesus who has changed your lives. Second point, Jesus had compassion And he not only saw the crowds, but he said, hey, let's throw a party. Let's stop, and let's spend time, and let's teach them what this life is all about. So I would say to us, and to me, and to you, it's time for us to plan for the party. Amen? It's time for us to reevaluate and say, am I going to stop thinking about how people overwhelm me? Am I going to stop thinking about how they... Um, bring complaints and criticisms into my heart and mind because of how they are? Am I going to stop avoiding people? Or am I going to roll up my sleeves and be about throwing a party for the crowds? It means something different for every single person in this room, so quit thinking about the person over in the next aisle. It means something to you and me. What does it mean to start thinking about throwing a party. How is your personal life shaped by seeing and responding to the crowds? Is there a burning in you to do something? Are you willing to feed the 5,000 for Jesus? Are you willing to walk with Him into that, into the midst of that ministry? So let's go on in the passage and see what happens here. Verse 35. Late in the afternoon, His disciples came to Him and said... This is a remote place, so he's been teaching, he's stopped, he's been seeing, they've been feeding with words and encouragement. They did stop, and now they're seeing another need emerge. It's getting late. Jesus, send these crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. A very natural, very normal statement. They look around, there's no McDonald's or Wendy's out here. They haven't set up any food plan for these people. Ministry's over. God, send them on. Get them out of here. We're done. Ministry's over. Go feed yourself. That's normal in this context. There's nothing wrong with this. But there's something that God, Jesus, is pointing to here when they said, send the crowds away. There was something more that God wanted to do with them, that Jesus wanted to do with this crowd, than just... Teach them. He wanted to feed their bodies. But I think more than feed their bodies, he wanted to show his disciples and the crowd that he is bigger than any problem or need that they have in their life. He hadn't had an opportunity yet to reveal the glorious power, the supernatural working of God that's outside anything we can do in our own human effort. He created a moment where The disciples and the people had no solution for this problem other than to go away. And Jesus wasn't finished. How many times do we stop short of God's significant work in people's lives because we're either tired, and I think they were, they were tired, or we look around and we go, we don't have anything else to give you. It's at that point. So when we press through at that moment of saying, God, what else do you have to do? What is it that you want to do that's supernatural or outside of my ability right now in this person's life or in this group's life? I was driving here to church this morning, and I shared this with the team as we were praying. And I drove down the street, my, my typical route, into the church. I was driving through Waltham, and I had a typical thought. I'm going to have a confession here, and you're not going to be happy with your pastor Yes. I drove down, and I was praying, and I, obviously I was thinking about the message. And I looked around, and I saw a few people walking around, but I kind of knew the activity of the city, and the, the wall in kind of settled in on me, and I was praying, and I said, God, I want to I see a revival in this city. I want to see people, not just ones and twos, but hundreds and thousands, come to know you, Jesus. And when I pray, don't get excited for me yet, because I have a confession to make still. And when I said it, in my heart, I said... God, that isn't possible. I didn't stay there long. For those, you self-righteous people out there, hold on, i have got moving towards my repentance here. And I said, God, that's hard. And what was, what was predisposing me to that thought? What I had lived in the past. I've been here five years, and I haven't seen yet what I want to see. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm not just talking about revival in Waltham. I'm talking about your finances. I'm talking about your relationships. I'm talking about your jobs. I'm talking about your hopes and dreams that you have not seen realized and you put on the back of God and you said, God, you've got to come through and God hasn't come through or at least he hasn't come through the way you want it to and so I'm Pastor Sean with my burdens and my cares and I'm going, God, I moved into the city for a revival and I'm not seeing it and I'm not experiencing it in the measure that I want to. Yes, there has been incredible revival in our church in people's lives and we can stop and we should do more of this, by the way, of which I feel convicted about this too To Share the stories of your personal revivals But there's more than a trickle so I said God that's impossible And then as, as soon as I said that He reminded me But Sean what is impossible for you look like for me And I Said yeah God And can I say something Sometimes when I pray the prayer of God It's impossible for me but possible for you The emphasis is on the impossible for me Anybody there Uh, You know, I just can't do that. No, but you can. And God said, you know what? I want you to pray that prayer differently from here on out, Sean. You can say the impossible about you because that's awful humble. And you're right. You would be lousy at this. But I'm going to do something through you that's miraculous. Because by faith, it's not only possible, it's possible. It's not just that it can be done, but I want you to know, Sean, I want it to be done. I haven't given up on Waltham. I haven't given up on Boston. I haven't given up on Watertown. I haven't given up on the crowds, and I especially haven't given up on Mr. Smith, Mrs. Hernandez, you fill in the names. I know every one of them by name. I know every one of their lives. I'm in their homes. I know when they go to bed. I know their addictions. I know their brokenness. I know their longing. I know their desire for hope, and I have it. I have it for them. Is it possible, Sean. Yes, Lord. It is possible. And I walked in and I said, guys, I've been praying the wrong prayer. Same words. Wrong emphasis. Wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Y'all figure that one out and come back to me. God is a God of possibility. I got off my message. I'm going to have to catch up here. But I get tired. And I get... Into in some unbelief and I get into some longings for other things I think would be easier and other ways of reaching the, you know what I'm saying? We start looking for escape routes when God says, no, no Wendy's or McDonald's here, the only answer is me. We like the answer, we just don't like getting to the answer because the answer, getting to the answer means faith and it means putting all of our eggs in the Jesus basket. And there was a little boy in the crowd that put his eggs in that basket. And the disciples got to come along for the ride. He didn't send them away. He said, let's not only give them food that we've been doing, teaching food, but let's give them body food. We gave them the bread of life, now let's give them the bread of Shaw's. If putting up boundaries in our life is to get better, if we are putting up restrictions on how we reach out to those who are needy, if it is so that we can have time to be refreshed and replenished, like I did this summer, so that we then can multiply and reach out, that's awesome. We need to live in a rhythm of replenishment. They were heading off to get some time alone. The crowd gave them a detour, but after that, they got some time alone. We've got to get refreshed and replenished. We'll burn out if we don't. We've gotta have strategy and purpose. We'll burn out if we don't. But if we lose the heart for the crowds, we've missed the gospel. If we're too tired and too busy taking care of, listen, for all of you sleeping, time to wake up. This is important. If we are so concerned that we make sure that my life and my family are okay, and we're having all of the fullness in life with my family, and we have no time for the lost because we are really working on being good right here, and we've missed the gospel. The gospel is, there is enough bread, not only for the crowds, but for you and me to feed the crowds. Philemon 1.6 says, or Philemon 6, because there's only one chapter in Philemon. Philemon 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing of your faith so that you may have a full understanding. I think I'm quoting in the NIV so you can paraphrase. So that you may have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. Translation for me is this. When I'm given when it's God's agenda for me to give, when he brings a crowd into my life because I'm aware of what he's doing and looking for opportunities, when I'm available to minister by faith for the miracles of God in people's lives, there is a refreshment that comes there that I cannot manufacture by retreat for three days. I promise you that's the truth. I lived in a revival in Bulgaria where we were ministering from 6 a.m. in the morning till midnight at night, and I was more energized and more full of rest than I've ever been, even though I was tired physically. I fell asleep a couple of times at dinner. I was tired, but my spirit was refreshed. How many of you know you'd rather be tired in your body and refreshed in your spirit than tired in your spirit and getting all the sleep you want? That's called depression. Right? new eyes, in new energy, in new compassion to feed the crowd. <clears throat> so, because Luke 10 says this, that's why the Son of Man came. Why did He come? To see and save those who are lost. That's why He says in, in His parable about the lost sheep, He says, I leave the ninety-nine Go to the one who is lost, he's here to seek and save, the lost of which, who in this room has been or is, or, <laughs> no, don't, don't, you don't have to raise your hands if you are lost, but those of you who, we've all been lost, and Jesus found us, thank you that he found us, and so, most of the time he found us through people in the church being his hands, his heart, his compassion. phrase about the crowds from Jesus' perspective. Mark 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See that common theme? We just read it. Same thing in Mark 6. See where his heart is? They're harassed. They're helpless. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Can I just stop there? Harassed and helpless sheep we see as overwhelming. He says, he looks at harassed helpless sheep, and a lot of them, he goes, harvest, harvest, they're not like lost, hopeless sheep out there, Jesus said, harvest, lots of hopeless, helpless sheep, Woo-hoo-hoo! harvest, because hopeless, helpless sheep know that they need help, I was a hopeless, helpless sheep that needed help, were you, still am? save me a lot of time Uh, don't go into that theology (laughs) but the the, it's plentiful But the workers are few so the harvest is plentiful so we're planning for a huge party we're planning for a huge harvest not something that we can create or make happen but if we're on journey with jesus we get to be a part of what he's doing we get to partner with god as he enters into the harvest So the crowds, so so they're sitting there, the crowds need to be fed. They're saying, send them away. And then in verse 37, he says, you feed them. So there's a crowd, and they're like, okay, well, at least if Jesus is here, he's going to do it. And what does Jesus say? No, I want you to do it. What? (laughs) Talking about a bad equipper, Charlie. I mean, that's not equipping. You don't just tell somebody to feed them when you don't. You know, that's terrible. He does equip them a little bit later, but at first he shocks them. You feed them. What? How are we going to do that? Yep, he said, feed them, throw them a party. Translation, feed them, throw the party. We, you, Jesus saying you, us, we have something to give them. We, we just don't realize it. And what do we have to give them? We have love. We have compassion. Amen? i just go back to Cheryl for a second. Cheryl is feeding lost sheep because she is exhibiting through her life love and compassion, the heart of God, towards those who are needy and hopeless. If you know her life, that's where she comes alive. That is Jesus, and that's feeding the crowds. We all have, if we have Jesus, we have a measure. Hopefully it's growing, and we're asking for more of it. Hang around people that have a lot of it. It's contagious. We have the opportunity to pray. How many of you are actually praying for people in your life that you not only know by name, you know their lives. They've confessed their brokenness to you. They've confessed their hopelessness to you. You're their friends. We, all of us have a hundred of them. Most of them are in our family nervous laugh Are you praying for them? And not just praying for them, you know, this prayer, oh God if it be your will. Well, that's effective. But are you praying because you love them? You care about them and you've met a Jesus that's changed your life? Are you praying, God, I really want I want I want my sister, I want my uncle, I want my brother, I want my neighbor, I want my friend, my best friend from since childhood. God, I want them to know Jesus the way that I know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus in a way that gives you compassion or love for them, then start there. But are you interceding because God says, I love to hear the prayers of my saints and my people, and I love to answer their prayers. Are you praying? More things happen just because we pray than anything else. Praise God for people like Esther Kim and Cassie and Jesse who have met early in the mornings to pray for our service, but also other times during the week. And we've got 50 or 100 of you out here that have little small prayer groups, Diane Kelly and different ones that are... I shocked Diane. Diane Diane intercedes for me daily, and she intercedes for other people. Praying and sowing into the spirit faith for things to happen, miracles to be transformed. We also have time. I like the way that Charlie says this. He says, uh, as a church... There's a couple of different ways that we can give our time corporately, and this is not just in our lives, and that's a whole nother message. But we have opportunities to give through a, what we call a community contribution, which basically means any of us can do it, but it needs to get done. I love John and Heather O'Donnell. I don't know if you know this, but they head, head up uh, with joy, by the way, which is even more exhilarating. They, they help clean up the church after all of you leave all your mess every Sunday. With with joy and, and they recruit other people to do it and people are doing it with them and they need more people by the way. But because they know, hey, someone this has got to get clean and we can do that. We didn't go to college to be vacuumers or to clean toilets, but we can do it because we love Jesus and we love the people that come to church here. That's a community contribution. How many of you can vacuum a carpet? Or yeah, we <laughs> not really. Really a bad carpet vacuumer. Really a good eater. Do you need some eaters? like watching movies. We can all vacuum. I did that starting at five years old. I missed some things. I'm getting better. But then we also have unique contributions, right? We have talents that we are all designed for. Have any of you had a chance to meet Yinka as a greeter? Is she anointed for greeting? I mean, I just want to say hello to her every morning because she's so happy and full of life. She's, she's perfect for the job. She's been created to make people feel special. All of us have unique ways in which God has put the diamond in you that needs to be unearthed so that we can make it. You have these little forms that were handed to you when you walked in. And this is, please, please hear me. In the scheme of things, this is very, very important, but if we don't get all the other things I'm talking about, this is not the driving message that we have this morning. Amen? We didn't, this message is not for you to be on a Sunday Servant team, but it is a, is a place for you to be involved. So if you can look at this, and there's also information on the back that tells of unique ways that on Sunday morning you can be involved, and if that's one way that you can contribute some common time, or if there's a unique gifting it gets excited when you see this list, fill it out at the end of the, at, in here in just a couple minutes, we're going to put those in the basket or you can give it to John or somebody as you as you figure that out. But we all have time, we all have ways in which we can reach the crowd. But lastly, we have to believe for a miracle, don't we? When it comes back to this big party, we have to believe that God will do something bigger than I or. And that's the miracle factor. With what? Verse 37. We've worked for months. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to feed these people. Or in Matthew's account it says, eight months of a man's wages. And God says, that's exactly where I want you. To be able to do something in and through your community and among you that you can never do on your own. And the rest of the story is, he breaks them down into groups. They break the loaves and the fish. They hand them out. Whole crowd is fed, and they have basketballs left over. He didn't just get by, but he blew the doors out. He did it to let you know there's never anything in our lives that can't be accomplished by God if he desires it. So would you stand with me? When that crowd... Come on up, worship team. When that crowd was fed... <clears throat> When the disciples saw it, when the little boy saw it, when the crowds were filled with food, what do you think was the what was the end result of that feeding? What's that? I believe hope beyond what they could imagine in this Jesus who was teaching them in God. But there was also a celebration. There was also thanksgiving. I think that they went into the night. In their hearts and in their attitudes, just astounded at what God had done. Don't you want to see that happen in your life? There's lots of different ways it could happen in this room. Can we prepare ourselves for that? So as we respond, the question is, God, how do you want me to get ready for this party? How do you want me to get ready? How do you want me to respond to what you're about to do in Waltham and in the surrounding area? And I believe that there's something significant. We're going to start hearing more and more stories about revival in people's lives. And it's going to be a huge bonfire of praise to God. But how does he want you to play a part? Does he want you to see the crowd? Maybe you need to pray for God to open up your eyes. Does he want to open up your hearts to give? To give radically. Resources, your talents, both here but also in where you live. Ask God to speak to you this morning. Let's pray, Father. We thank you that you're speaking. We ask God that you would do your work in me. And when you do a work in me, there's a lot of me's in this room. You do a work in us. Look at those...